This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party. Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And we are back. Yes, in the pouring rain. In the pouring rain after, what, four months? Four and a half months away? Yeah. And it feels like we're starting all over. I think, yeah, let's just be like, right, this is new. Kind of, yeah. We're new. We're out out of practice. Completely out of practice. Well, I'm never going to be out of practice from talking. <laughs> but if you are new and you just came into us, we are the His Film Her Movie podcast. Yes. I am Jordan. I am Lauren. And we normally take a subject or event or something, an influence. A theme. Exactly. And then we both choose a film that relates to that theme and discuss it. Have a wee chat. And have a chat. So yeah, we are, we have been away for quite some time, and um, which coincided very much with the world burning. Well, not burning. It burned. It stopped. It just it all went a bit tits up, really. It did. And although like Jordan's work throughout this, I've only came back to work in the past two, two weeks. Two weeks, and not even back properly. No. It's been a bit of a. A very, very strange time. It has. And for people who know us, know that we're always, we're always doing something. We're always very active, usually with work, running around and trying to get things done. And uh, I think a lot of people can probably relate to the fact that when we stopped, I just had no idea what to do anymore. Yeah. And I think that was it. I mean, the reason, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, none of us were ill or anything like that no, i think it was just the fact very that very lucky with that um it was a sense of motivation against the because you weren't working you were you were on furlough and i was sort of working throughout it it just the time never really felt right to sit down and, and like even though we've watched loads but mostly tv yeah we've watched so many tv shows and just because they felt a little bit more digestible and yeah. in a way it sounds kind of bad but we didn't really have to think all that much whilst doing things like that. And it was very much not wanting to make something like this, which is fun and nice, make it feel like work. Yeah, because we did try a few times we before. Did. And it just got to the point where we were, we were just like, we can't do this. Yeah. We couldn't do it. We're going to think of something else. We even sat down, we watched one of my films. We didn't watch your film because you were just like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um. But now that, I don't know, maybe I need to work. I think I'm probably one of the most insufferable people when I'm not working. Yeah. Like, it got to the point where if things didn't start opening up, I was probably going to start making dresses for the cat. (laughs) But, yeah, it's just you need your mind to be active. And the fact is, because your mind's active during the day, you don't mind 
keeping it active because that's the way it is. That that's yeah. your status. But whereas when your status is just basically not being able to do anything, it's not being lazy. It's just the fact is we couldn't do anything. We weren't allowed really outside. You couldn't interact. So therefore, we spent a good three months of this lockdown just putting even deeper dents into our sofas. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe we should get new sofas. No, it's money. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to start a crowdfund so I can have a new sofa. Everybody, <laughs> please, please donate so Lauren can have a new sofa. Because I've definitely sat on this way too much <laughs> over the past four months. But no, so we are um, a podcast, we're a film podcast, as our title yes. suggests. And we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate, although we've been pretty lackadaisical with our input to that. But our brothers and sisters in Pod Syndicate have not. So if you are just getting into podcasts, I yeah. don't know, going back to work, getting back on a bus, yeah. and needing something, go to wearepodsyndicate.com and listen to those guys. Yeah. Because they have been really good at keeping stuff up. We're the lazy ones. They've actually been doing extra. So uh, been, Yeah. <laughs> They've been doing extra stuff. They've been doing their normal stuff. Um, we've got some new people sort of joining us. Yeah. It's all going really, really well. We're just the lazy bastards. <laughs> so if you need something, go listen to them as well. Absolutely. But what are we doing this week? This week we're doing road movies. Yes. So we both went out, looked and chose a road movie. Yes. Um, what did you choose? I chose... The 1994 iconic Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Full title? I just call it Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, but nobody calls it that. Like, nine times out of ten, people just call it Priscilla. (laughs) (laughs) And I chose 1934's It Happened One Night. Yes. The Frank Capra, uh, Clark Gable uh, vehicle. Mm-hmm. Vehicle. Uh, Claudette Colbert in there as well. And, I mean, we don't really have much else to say, so should, should we just get into it? Yes. What do you want to go with first? We'll go with yours first. We'll st- we'll, we'll, we'll do uh, first film first. It's all a matter of knowing how to handle them. Oh. You're an expert, I suppose. Expert? I'm going to write a book about it. Call it The Hitchhiker's Hail. There's no end to your accomplishments, is there? You think it's simple, huh? No, no. Well, it is simple. It's all that old thumb, see? Yeah. Now, some people do it like this. Or like this. All wrong. Never get anywhere. Oh, the poor thing. Yeah, boy, but that old thumb never fails. It's all a matter of how you do it, though. You know, now, you take number one, for instance. That's a short, jerky movement like this. That shows independence. You don't care whether they stop or not. You got money in your pocket, see? Clever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but number two, that's a little wider movement. Smile goes with this one like this. That means you got a brand new story about the farmer's daughter. Mm-mm. You figured that out all by yourself, huh? Nah, that's nothing. Yeah, number three, that's a pip. Yeah, that's a pitiful one. You know, when you're broke and hungry and everything looks black? That's a long, sweeping movement like this. Got to follow through, though. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's no good, though, if you haven't got a long face to go with it. So, yeah, it happened one night. Now, this is a road movie in the sense of um, it mostly takes place 
on a trip from Miami to New York mm-hmm. um, on a bus. Mm-hmm. And you've got um, Claudette Colbert. Yeah, I... I've got Claudette. I couldn't get her second name, but I really liked her. In it's this. either Claudette Colbert or Claudette Colbert. I'm going for the more fancy pronunciation of I that. I think that she would appreciate that <laughs> because it makes her sound exotic. Absolutely, and you've got Clark Gable. So Claudette Colbert has married, um, sort of in secret, mm-hmm. this this wealthy individual in New York. Well, he's called King. He's called so King. So is it based, do you think it's maybe, because around that sort of time, there might be uh, displaced royals and everything? Maybe. Maybe from uh, like the, the, maybe from like the German sort of region, that sort of part of Europe, yeah, that it's, sort it's of family. called King Wesley. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it might be, but it might just be a stupid first name. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be a stupid first name. <laughs> There's me trying to look into the lineage of the royal family. John just slags him off. <laughs> but yeah, so, and you've got um, Claudia Colbert's Ellie Andrews has married, married King Wesley in secret um, and she tells her father. Mm-hmm. Father's not happy, no. wants to annul the um, the marriage. Do we ever find out really why he doesn't like King? I think because he... Seems to be sort of like a new money, um, I don't know. Show off. Show off, yeah. Um, and the father just doesn't, he just, we don't really find out. We don't really know. All we know is that he doesn't want this, this marriage to take place. Because I just felt like I have missed something. But yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, she ends up running away. Mm-hmm. And whilst somehow getting a bus from, say, from Miami to New York... Clark Gable, who plays Peter Warren, who is a journalist, mm-hmm. realises who she is and decides to see if he can get the story of a lifetime and tell her end of that um, story. Yes, because you didn't mention um, her dad is put out things in all the newspapers. Yep. There's a big reward looking out for her because it's not the first time she's run, run off. away. So yeah. there's a lot of people out there searching for her at this time. Absolutely. So it happened one night. I mean, this is not only. I mean, not only is it a good movie because it really is. Um, it it's strange to think just how much this because this is seen as the prototype romantic comedy. Okay. So if you look at say romantic comedies, even like through the screwball era of the early forties, mm-hmm. um, even if you go into the seventies, eighties, and even now. If you think about it, it's like this is the blueprint. Uh, you, it's, it's the you have the the gender wars yeah. as a, the battle of the sexes, if you will, and you've got two people who originally dislike each other, and as the film progresses, falling in love. Yeah. And if you think of modern romantic comedies, how much that blueprint is copied? Literally. Uh- the only thing missing is um, a movie poster of them standing back to back. Matthew McConaughey, his leaning posters. His leaning posters, yeah. But you, so you know what I mean? It's like, no, I don't think it was the first film to do this, but I think it was the most popular of the time. Right. And it just seemed, it was a great formula that people just kept on um, copying. Mm-hmm. And yeah it's, it's, it's for me it's not the best romantic comedy there is but it's just so influential that it's it's nice to see and just to see how it has really instigated 
cinema, that genre throughout the ages. Yeah. Um, but again, with these films like this, especially Frank Capra films, and when you've got somebody like Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert in there, it's all to do for me is the charm of the of the piece. It's, it's the charm of the characters, of mm-hmm. the the bickering, and the just the how gender back then is so completely different of how <laughs> it's treated now. Yeah, um, and you just see that slice of time of when even though it doesn't happen with the film you can definitely see sort of one like a male character slapping at a female and saying like you know what i mean it's sort of like yes i think the females are sort of sexualized mm-hmm. and but it's a seesaw as well because in either part of the film each one of them have power yes. but you can see claudette um, Colbert have some power and then Clark Abel comes back and it's just always playing with it and yeah. that sort of culminates in one of the most famous picture, um, scenes of the film is when Clark Abel is what we, what we would call now mansplaining how to hitchhike yes and it's sort of like <laughs> he's saying there's these different kinds of things here and there when we see him fail and so then, many times. And then Claude Colbert says, I know, like, basically, this is it. It just hikes up a skirt, shows a bit of leg, and somebody stops within a second. I know. I just think that's so funny. I'm going to show I'm going to show my knee. Absolutely. But then he makes, like, a little comment. He's like, oh, next time, just take your whole skirt off or yeah. something. And she's like, uh, you're just bitter because you can't get a car to stop, but, but I can. But that's why I love, I love how seeing that... Showing a bit of knee, or even not even a le- like the lower leg yeah. was seen as such a sort of a big thing. Whereas nowadays, you've got well, there is now the glitter boobs. There is glitter boobs. Yeah, so you don't wear a top; you just put glitter on your boobs. Well, there we are, and it becomes a top. That's... I think that's more of a Coachella type thing. Well, hopefully, because I haven't seen that before. <laughs> if I was out um, on the town, we and that are was not a... going to Coachella, <laughs> and we're not going down Boschigate to see that. <laughs> But I mean, did you did you like this film? I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was such a cute, like, little film. Um, and I think it's funny because, like, I def I pick up on a lot of different things too. Like, whenever we've been sitting watching TV shows, mm. you'd be like, "How did you notice that?" I'll pick it up. Yeah, so yeah. I had like loads of like little silly sort of things that I had um noticed that was quite nice. Of like a little bit of a hark back, like stupid things like. What did she have? Like something like five dollars to begin with to yeah. get her from to survive on from Miami to New York, and after a night, she's only got one dollar forty five or something left. And I'm like, you can totally live on that because at one place they stopped, uh, hot dogs were ten cents. Yes, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you can totally just just buy a hot dog and you're sorted. Little things like that where you look at it and you go, that's that was actually a real price of things <laughs> and how much societies change like them stopping at specific routes along the way just for buses that kind of americana that probably isn't there anymore absolutely and the thing is that's one major issue major sort of factor and theme within the film is and most frank capra films that that era is this is a depression era movie Mm -hmm. so you've got that bubbling underneath because you've like for example ellie andrews mm-hmm. she seems to flit away her money because she has it yes 
and she doesn't really have that much of a regard for it. Whereas your Clark Gable, like for example, later on when they have to stop at a motel, and they are thinking, but they're basically going to go in the morning before having to pay. Yes. And she is very much for it, and Clark Gable is sort of like, no, these people. This is their livelihood. This is this is the livelihood. Like we you, can't screw them out of that. Yeah. Um. And again, people, you see people struggling. For example, there's a scene with a, a sick woman mm-hmm. uh, and she gives Clark Gable's money to, uh, yeah, to the child. Yeah, by the sounds of it, like when, you, when they speak to their child, she put all of their money into yep. getting it to New York. So they haven't eaten in days and she's really ill. So there's like, yeah, but I like the way he's done it because you've always got, like you said, like that, that little undercurrent yeah. of type of things. Um. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not overbearing. It's not really no. it's, it's not sort of a really sad, depressing movie. It's just there because those were the times. And I guess are you kind you're kind of seeing it through Ellie's eyes because to her, when like when Clark Gable and she's like, "Oh, I'll have a box of chocolates," and yeah. he's like, "No, you don't have yeah. the money for that," and she's like having a bit of a sulk, which you know, same, but like when when she's giving him the money to the kid, she's like, "Get yourself some food." get better and Clark Gable's like that's all of our money she went yeah but they need it more she's like we can get more money we'll be fine yeah we just need to wait out until you get to New York which again she's got a dollar 45 she can buy a few hot dogs she'll be fine yes but she won't even eat raw carrots again same I'd rather (laughs) eat a box of chocolates than some raw carrots raw carrots no um uh, and one thing that I really sort of find found about it was that, you know, the whole Ellie's, she's, she comes across and she's like, I'm independent, I can do this and I can do this, but she's not, mm. she's terrified of being alone because she's always been in her dad's custody, but then she said, oh, she grew up and she had like nurses and teachers and everything else she's never actually been alone Hmm. so she gets that little bit of independence by running away and getting married but again she's then joined to somebody else yeah and when she thinks that peter clark gable's left her when he actually hasn't he's gone to go and see to get um the money for writing this piece and everything so he can then pay for their room she thinks that She's been left and she doesn't know what to do. So the first thing she does is she calls her dad and she goes, yep, I'll just get married. I'll just do whatever you want. He's left me. So she never then has to be alone. Mm. Which I think it's a little bit of a shame because that sort of thing could have then been maybe expanded on more. Like she woke up and he's gone and she's so upset. But she's like, no, do you know what? Screw him I'm going to carry on. I'm going to keep on trying to do this and trying to get there um, because that's where he'll be. Yeah. And then she could have had a little bit more of a character awakening and becoming a bit more independent and actually becoming the strong woman that she's pretending to be. But again, it's the time. It wouldn't... That's not really a type of story that they would have played back then. Yeah, yeah. They don't want young women getting on the Greyhound buses and trapezing all over... America. Well, it's one of those like fun facts. I mean, again, fun facts. I don't know who's actually factually checked these, but after this film, 
people using the bus for long distances increased because people wanted to do these journeys. And it's it's like the influence of the time. Like again, another one of the fun facts is that there is a, a really a, probably one of the most famous scenes in the film where they sort of have to stop off in a motel because part of the road's closed. Yes. And he, um, Clark Gable, puts a string upon uh, between two parts of the room, hangs the walls a, of Jericho. The walls of Jericho. Now, but what he does to sort of get Ellie Andrews to the other side is he starts undressing. Mm-hmm. So he first he takes off his shirt. Well, and, he's, and, and he's, he talks all the way through it. He talks all the way through it, but he's not wearing an undershirt. And it's said that sales of undershirts plummeted after this film <laughs> because Clark Gable wasn't wearing one. Okay. And I love little things like that. Yeah. Like how it just sort of, because somebody looks good or somebody's famous, it just, how it impacts society in the real world. Yeah, but it's you really don't good. really see guys wearing undershirts at all now. Oh, never really. I mean, maybe really old people, but generally yeah. there's no, there's no really vest. Nobody wears a vest anymore. No. Um, but no, but that scene in itself and how it, it, it just, there's so much brought to this film by the back and forth between mm-hmm. Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable. And that's what I think people love about this film. It's like any sort of screwball comedy. I mean, you've got Catherine Hepburn and James Stewart in. I mean, we've saw The Philadelphia Story. Yes. Um, Cary Grant in there as well. And it's just because you don't have the flashiness of, I don't know, a modern special effect. Mm-hmm. You just get completely drawn in by the dialogue and by the the really slight comedy of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and this is the first film that won what's what's seen as like the big five Oscars. Oh, okay. So you won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. They also needed an Oscar for her goddamn makeup because it did not budge. <laughs> she was on the road for like what five days. That woman still had eyebrows on. Well, that's it. And so the next film to actually win it after that was mm-hmm. in the 70s and it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I love that film. So there's only three films that's actually done it. Um, so there's those two in Science of the Lambs. They're the only three films actually sweeped that those Oscars. But it's like, for example, it's like people don't understand what they're making. Like Claudette Colbert, after she, after she finished shooting the film, has been said that she said, I've just literally got off the worst film that I think I've ever done. Really? And Clark Gable didn't enjoy the entire production and um, there was rewrites Frank Capra said they were probably like difficult to work with everything so when the, when he finished people thought it was going to be a dude and then it mm-hmm. became this massive influential film but um but it's like even the, the scene within the sun motel after the walls of Jericho in, in the morning after and it's when you sort of see the cracks between them form where mm-hmm. the detectives come and they sort of fake an argument as a married couple. Yeah, I like that. That's brilliant. Just watching that dynamic is, it's what you watch the film for. I would definitely recommend uh, this film to people. I think it's a really, like like today, it's Saturday afternoon. It's miserable outside. I think this would be a really nice film to sort of like snuggle up yeah. and watch. Because it's such an easy film. It is in, like you said... It is the same sort of formula as what rom-coms are. So it's not something that you then have to really sit and think about. It's not something that you have to be like, oh, what's who's that person, blah, blah, blah. No. You, you can literally just watch it and just enjoy it because it's familiar. 
And that's it. Even though, even though he's, I mean, to use the word saucy for the time, it was like, it's, it's actually strange because even if it came out a couple of months after, mm-hmm. it would have been cut because this is um, pre Hairs Code and it was oh. just before the Hairs Code came in. So what would they have cut? Because I can't re- Well, you wouldn't have seen the leg. You wouldn't have seen him. Seen you, you, he wouldn't have undressed in front of the woman. See, to me, that's like, that's like, I don't know. That's like EastEnders, six o'clock. Yeah. That's nothing. But it's like it's even like how the hint towards at the end when the hinting towards the when the walls of Jericho. Fall. But then because that was it because I can't remember seeing them kiss. Mm, I actually don't think they do kiss. They don't kiss. So I actually thought this was after that came into place. No, this is just um, because no. they never shared a bed. They weren't really. They didn't. I think they clasped hands like once. But I, think, yeah, I think at the time, but this came out literally a couple of months before the Hairs because the Hairs Code first came in like 1930. Mm-hmm. This is 1934, but it wasn't really in, like, in, enforced until 1934. And this is one of the final films to, to come out. Because um, I've it seen was. about how um, before that they would have them in bed and do well, all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, pre code, I mean, it's one of my favourite eras. A film because it's just like even though because of the time you don't really see anything, mm-hmm. but it's for example like yeah you you had characters who were uh, mistresses, you yes. had um, people having um, sex outside of marriage, um, you had glorified criminals, mm-hmm. which that all went um, when the Hairs Code came in. But this was I just found it interesting that even though the most influential parts and the most famous parts of this film wouldn't have been shown and would it have had the impact that it did if it came out a few months later. That's a good point. But no, as I said, I think it's a really good movie, one for all the family, even though it does oh, hint definitely. it does hint towards certain things, but you never ever The thing is, like yeah, the hinting with the walls of Jericho, a child's not gonna know about. No. It's a nice you can you can watch it with your nana. Yeah. You can watch it with anybody. Just get some get some ice cream and some popcorn and whilst it's blowing a gale outside, just sit and watch this and just be like, it's nice. Yeah. It's a nice sort of film. I keep, I'm very aware that I keep on saying it's nice. But, but that's, it's like me, I think it's, just, it's charming, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a very easy watch. Yes, definitely. Cool. Well, we'll move on. We'll have a few ads first and then we'll move on to... The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies. Oh, and many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f. CSVP Combat! Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Punter. Round one, fight. Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. But anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. 
I mean, the he's... main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. <laughs> so join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. Fight. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. Also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I just just getting confirmation. It's just in that's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? Hey, let's pack the drag away. You take the lunch and tea. I'll take the ecstasy. Fuck off, you silly queer. I'm getting out of here. A desert holiday. Hip, 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 hooray. Why? Why not? Look, he's turned into a bloody good little performer. That's right. A bloody good little performer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I thought we were getting away from all this shit. Two's company, three's a party, Bernadette, my sweet. We're unplugging our curling ones and going bush, Felicia. Why would you possibly want to leave all this glamour for a hike into the middle of nowhere? Do you really want to know? Desperately. Well... Ever since I was a lad, I've had this dream. A dream that I now, finally, have a chance to fulfil. And that is? To travel to the centre of Australia, climb King's Canyon, as a queen, in a full-length Gautier sequin, heels and a tiara. So, 1994 happened. 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 26 years ago. 26 years ago. Mm. A lifetime ago for some of our listeners. Yes. Some of our listeners may not have been born then, which I say, go up faster, because you're making me feel old. (laughs) But in 1994, a little film by Stephen Elliott popped out of Australia. Yes. And I think the thing you've got to sort of think about, around this sort of time, there is now a lot more films that come out of Australia. At this sort of time, there wasn't really very much. There was like Crocodile Dundee. And apart from that, along came Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And they were the two ones that everybody sort of knew as being based in Australia. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, it stars Guy Pearce, Terence Stamp and Hugo Weaving as two drag queens and a transgender woman who travel across the Australian outback in a battered old bus that they christen Priscilla um, to play um, at a hotel, basically a drag show. Yeah. And along the way... They have homophobia and threats and they meet some great people. They meet some awful people. But it was made, It was known so well for its soundtrack, the topics they covered and the costumes. <clears throat> Sorry. So, with this, um, really, I'm just trying to think of a way of trying to describe it to people because... We look at it now, yeah, and the language that's used in it can be maybe quite triggering for people. But you've yeah. really got to look at it's set in the time where, like the like for example, they sing a song called uh, um, Five Fat Trannies Sitting on a Wall." That wouldn't have been offensive no, no. back then, whereas the word "tranny" now is. 
it is very much in its microscope microscope of the time. Yeah. The music is all of the songs that were being played at the time. Um, but it's also one of the only films that uh, when you look at it, for example, Terence Stamp plays um, Bernadette, yeah. the uh, transgender woman. And at that time, there wasn't really anybody coming out and doing anything like this. It kind of provides very much a snapshot to the general public mm-hmm. of what the LGBTQ um, community was like and um, the sort of things that they went through. For a lot of people, this probably was an introduction um, to that community that has ne- was never really explored or explained. And this was mainstream, so it was huge, absolutely huge. Um, with that... Um, so... Um, what what do you think about this film? Because I know it's obviously a film that has been out for so long. Well, I, Everybody... I hadn't seen it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a film that you've always known was there, but I never really got around to watching it. And mm-hmm. and I did, I, I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. I mean, parts of it I enjoyed. I, st- I still think it's sort of, it, for me, one of the most interesting parts of the film, mm-hmm. it doesn't investigate it doesn't sort of dissect enough yes. I mean, it's fun it's a fun road movie and it's a fun road movie because of um the dynamic between the three i mean again you've got hugo weaving and guy piggis before they were hollywood names yes um guy piggis very much is unrecognizable in his cackling hag if you want to say <laughs> it's a very cackling role his, he plays Adam, by the way, and yeah. Hugo Weaving is Tick. I couldn't remember their names. And that's it. And, and, and Guy Pearce is, is very much more feminine and flamboyant than Hugo Weaving's character, or even um, Bernadette as Terrence Stamp. Mm-hmm. And what shocked me the most was, like, Terrence Stamp is very much known as one of the a cockney hard man mm-hmm. in, in past roles in so seeing him in such a 180 of what i'm used to seeing him play mm-hmm. it was really good to see just the, the range of terrence stamp and just to see him put the amount of hurt and the amount of i mean he's bernadette is played very dignified yeah very very classy and dignified of course when we first see her she's mourning the loss of her husband mm. um but again there's this like little notes into that um because Bernadette says about how she can't inherit things and people don't look at her the yeah. same way and she's not getting the same sort of support because under laws at that time she wouldn't have been classed as his wife yeah, absolutely, and and the thing is, that's it. It's it's seeing the different generationals as well, and the, and the breaking of the walls. For example, you, you, Terence Stamp is living as a woman, mm-hmm. and there's parts of her which is like thinking, like because I look the way I look, I'm not going to act outrageous, if, outrageous because that would be too much for people to like the, the society of the time to understand. So very subdued, is very sort of inner self, and trying to. In a way, maybe 
go under the radar of everything else. If just yeah. if just soak into the background. So if if she doesn't hurt anything, nothing's going to come back to her. I also kind of take it as um, I always kind of get the feeling that Bernadette kind of feels that she is representing every gen- transgender yeah. person, and that if she acts out everybody's going to get a bad name. They've already got a bad name in society. People yeah. don't want to discuss it. And people don't want to admit anything about them. So therefore that's why she's dignified. She's classy. She's reserved. She's professional. She gets on. She does the work. She is polite to everybody. And I think it's because in her head, she's probably thinking, if I'm not, it's going to come back way worse on me but also on the community yeah and then then you get the different generation of say for example guy pierce who is mm-hmm. loud proud yeah he's got conflict within himself but he's very much i'm gay this is who i am deal with it yeah where but again it's also being he's he's more socially acceptable yeah, exactly and i think yeah it's just those, that that different Reading of society from the from the youth and from the old, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Again, Terrence Stamp has probably lived up with a hell of a lot more persecution than Guy Pearce had, even though they're still being they still they still get judged. But for example, if Terrence Stamp was in the sixties and seventies, it's a hell of a lot harder than in the nineties. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if you as well, like you look at the ages, um. Terence Stamp would be like the right age for like the Stonewall movement and everything else happening. Yeah. And so that, whereas Adam, Guy Pearce and Tig are, they, they, they're probably the right sort of age to have known about it. Yeah. But too young to actively not be a part of it because it's the other side of the world, but for it to come back on them at the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well, because what what was the thing that you said that you wanted them to maybe delve into so more? For, for me, the one of the most probably the most interesting aspect of the film is that when we get to I mean spoilers for a twenty six year old movie. <laughs> By the way, the little boy was seeing dead people the entire time. <laughs> but when we get to the casino and we get to I mean we find out early on that Hugo Weaving's character was married, mm-hmm. but we find out that he has a son. Yeah. Now, what for me was interesting about that, and we didn't see enough, was bringing up those questions of what what is being a father? Mm-hmm. But not only what is being a father, but does that have to mean masculine? Yeah. Do you know why? That's so funny because I read, I wrote something down. And that's it. So therefore you've got Hugo Weaving, who is very much so aware of this kid, and again, maybe because he's been bullied, like he doesn't really want to be part of the kid's life because if people see him with his gay father who is a drag queen, and mm-hmm. that may come back on the child, on his yeah. son. But again, it's just sort of like, what does, is, is a father have to be a masculine figure? Or is that just this embedded idea of we think father... And we male, think male, male characteristics, and um, we we think about strong and what different version. I'm not I'm not saying no, no, but you know, traditional male characteristics yes. of this, this, and this, and that's it. I actually wrote down wrote down that he thinks that he should be in quotes a proper dad. Man. Yeah, yeah. Traditional roles, traditional values, probably the same sort of dad that he grew up with. Absolutely. But then you kind of see towards the end, it doesn't matter as much. His son 
is fully aware of what he does, has heard all kinds of stories off his mum, which is lovely to see that his mum has been like, your dad is a drag queen and he does this and he does this sort of stupid song and he does this and all kinds of crazy stories about them because it says about how um, his wife's also a lesbian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so it was obviously like a sham marriage, which again would have been something that a lot of gay people had to go through just to keep up appearances, just to be accepted into society. So this boy seems perfectly well adjusted with one gay parent. He's got another one. And by the end of the film, you see that like he doesn't have to pretend to be a proper dad. He can be himself. And his son loves it. His son seems very comfortable in himself. He's very happy to mess around with wigs and play about and everything. But then it's still a little boy. He's just... But, playing and exploring. And that, that's and, for, for me, maybe, I mean, again, just for me, is that if half of the film was the road movie and half of the film was mm-hmm. dissecting that dynamic and that relationship, I think it would have had a bit more of an impact. Whereas as we got to the end of the road movie, yeah. it felt like everything was widening up. And to be honest, I was kind of wanting it to end. I was wanting them to get to the casino. Yeah. And then... You got this little thing added on at the end. It's tagged on. I was like, "Well, that's actually that's the that's the interesting part of what this whole aspect is trying to discuss." Mm-hmm. Is like, okay, what is what is being a man? Well, that's it. And I have read a few things about how Stephen Elliott didn't because at that time there was um, obviously what is a man. There was the AIDS crisis going on. There was, um, you know, people being hidden from society, yeah, yeah. like Bernadette. There's so many things that affect that community that are just kind of brushed upon. Mm. Like you have them going to this little, um, this little town, and it being very stereotypically racist and homophobic and everything else and they're just not nice people and they get up to leave the next morning and it's got AIDS fuckers die painted on their bus which is then why Guy Pearce decides to paint the whole thing hot pink um but it it, it, there's that he didn't want the film to be a serious conversation I think it's a very good film for somebody who's maybe not at all mm. um, knowledgeable or doesn't know anybody who's maybe gay to kind of dip their toe in. So they talk a little bit about this and they talk a little bit about this and they talk a little bit about being yeah. a dad and being all this. And But it's not as in-depth because if it did, it would then have to go in-depth into so many depressing things maybe, yeah. that it just has to try... It's, it's a very positive film it ends positively. It starts sadly with Bernadette's husband dying and them going through hardships and um, being better friends at, by the end of it and being better people and themselves being more open. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I find it. it I there's a, there's the scene where um. Oh, I can't remember who it is. Um. I think it might be. Guy Pierce standing on top of the bus. Yes. When they're driving through the outback in full drag and he's attached to the bus. Yeah. So he's not going to fly off. 
and then just this huge train yeah, yeah. just going out behind him. And I think that's probably one of the most iconic scenes. But like we were watching it and I was just like, could you imagine being in the outback and then filming this and you just drive past and you're like, what the hell is happening? Because the outback is scary. There's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. The other thing it also kind of touches on is when they do break down and nobody will help them. Mm. The only people that actually end up helping them is um, the Aboriginal people who, again, have suffered a huge amount against their communities. So it's like two persecuted communities coming together to help each other and just going, listen, we can help each other. It doesn't matter who you are or what, who you love or what you believe. They were still there. Whereas you see um, Mr. and Mrs. Spencer, I even wrote down their names, um, a little old white couple coming up, Bernadette's been able to stop them when she's walked off to try and find somebody. Found them, they've driven her back, but then Adam and Tri- and Tick are in full drag. Yeah. <laughs> and they literally leave them to die in in the outback, which isn't really sort of touched upon. Yeah, it's seen as more of a comedic moment than a than a But if you actually did that to somebody, you are actually leaving them to die. They had no water, they had no food, they had no power. If it wasn't for the Aboriginal people, they would have literally just... Yeah. It would have been Priscilla Coffin of the desert. (laughs) But also, I completely um, agree uh, with Bernadette's uh, line where she says, no more fucking ABBA. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Done to death. I will never watch a Mamma Mia film. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else that you want to... I did get some fun facts. Okay. Okay. Um... So, did you know that the guy who designed Priscilla also designed the, all the cars in Mad Max Fury Road? No. So, I quite like the idea that he's like, oh, let's put some glitter on a little Mad Max. I know the um, costume designer won an Oscar. She did. And the, um, the, the one... Now, I got very confused when I read this fun fact because I tend to read the facts before... They're in the film. Yeah. So there's, so if you go on IMDb and you read like their fun facts and everything, I'm sure there's one in there where I found them, where it says about a dress made out of flip-flops. Yes. And it costs them like $20 or something to me. Except that they use the Australian name for flip-flops, which is Thongs. thongs. And I was like, they made a dress out of thongs? I can't remember that happening. So, yeah. So, just that's just a little bit of warning. If anybody goes and looks on that, mm. it's not actually made out of, like, the underwear. It's, it's the shoe. Don't worry. Um, did you know as well, speaking of costumes, prisoners from Sydney's Long Beach Jail helped to make um, some of the costumes. Mm. They um, made the pom-poms on one of the costumes because it took them hours to make so they literally got like hundreds of prisoners to just make pom-poms right as part of like their arts and crafts and they're like oh yeah now it's going to a film and then finally which is my favorite one because i just think this sounds like such good fun 
um, when it was released, some cinemas actually put disco balls. So therefore, and like coloured lighting and everything. So um, when the song finally sort of came on with a big dance number, it meant that everybody could get up and have a party. <laughs> I just think that just sounds like so much fun. Because it was the the songs at the time were the gay anthems at the time. Yeah. To be able to get up and be like, we can have a dance here. And then we go to the club and carry on dancing. Get you in the mood for going out. Very good. Well, I think that's it for our two movies. I think it is. Um, for Priscilla, maybe don't watch this one with children. Maybe not. Maybe don't even watch it with you, Nana. There's lots of swearing. There's lots of swearing. Um, there's some rude language. I recommend a canned cocktail of three <laughs> and watching this. And having enough space to get up and have a dance. <laughs> but all that wasn't as high as I thought it was going to be. No, yeah, I did that go blank practice. a couple of times, but I'm okay. Yeah. Get the brain back working. But hopefully this is us back um, on the regular on Mondays. Yes. Every Monday we'll have a new sh- new show. We've already got the next couple of weeks planned out. Yes. So, although we know our themes, I'm not sure if we know what we're watching yet, but we will get, no. we will get sorted. And yeah, it's good to be back. I'm very pleased to be back. And um, yeah, let us know if you've maybe watched an amazing film Yeah, in lockdown. Because it's, come on, be honest, not much else to do. Yeah, if you want to get in contact with me with Twitter and Instagram, it's just at his film, her movie. Yes. Um, it's hfhmpodcast at gmail.com for our email. Yes. But yeah, um, we can just get in contact and we will obviously reply. Yeah, because I'm not back at work full time yet. So I have time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that is it for this week. That's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.